Welcome to the Wealth Studying Podcast. This is episode 443. Today is February 5th, 2024. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, we're very interesting open to the market this morning at the beginning of the week and at the second month of the first quarter. The markets were down pretty drastically this morning and across the board, everything was down. I'm talking major indices, commodities, debt instruments, just about everything was down. And again, down pretty significantly. I think at one point I saw the small caps were down 2% or over 2%, somewhere in that range. The things did pick up and close the gap, but overall the market did finish down and specifically the broadening of the market, the better performance of smaller caps, mid cap stocks, and the remaining aren't the magnificent six. And magnificent six, I say, because it looks like Tesla has dropped out of the Magnificent Seven, and so now we're left with the Magnificent Six. In any case, 494 stocks, as well as the small caps and the mid caps, all did much worse. And so to me, that does show that we are not getting the broadening out that most people were looking for to go on and have a truly sustainable stock market rally where it's not just a handful of leaders. This is a trend I've been seeing and commenting on for, I guess, several weeks now and putting the charts out over at investablewealth.com when I had something to say about that. So in any case, that disparity, I think, continues. That's not what we're going to talk about in this episode today, though. What we are going to talk about is what I believe is being ignored in the markets, and I think ignored to their own detriment, and that's escalation of wars specifically, and in general, just all the geopolitical uncertainty that is now teed up for the future that we didn't have to worry about a few years ago. And I say the market's not worried or paying attention to this. We know my conflicted conspiratorial mind wonders that at this morning's open, when there was such a drastic drop in the stock market, I wonder how much of that actually was related to the U.S. strikes and the British strikes that hit targets in Syria and Iraq over the weekend. Now, I say this because all day today, all I heard was that the market was down in reaction to the fact that there won't be rate cuts coming anytime soon in March like the market was talking about, or there may not be six rate cuts like the market's been hoping for when, in fact, all along the Federal Reserve has said there's going to be three. All that was stated and reinforced last Wednesday when the FOMC meeting took place. Powell didn't say, Chairman Powell didn't say anything different at his interview following that meeting. We had a strong jobs report at the end of last week that threw more cold water on the fact that interest rates need to come crushing down. And yet, when the market pulled back today, it seemed like everybody was blaming the interview that Chairman Powell did over the weekend on 60 Minutes. Well, I don't know if you watched that interview. I wouldn't recommend wasting your time doing it because it wasn't like some hard-hitting investigative report where Chairman Powell revealed anything that he hasn't previously stated He simply stated what he's been saying. So no news came out over the weekend in terms of the Federal Reserve or interest rates. But yet what did happen, and happened about two hours after the market closed on Friday afternoon, was that U.S. and British forces not only bombed and hit targets in Iraq and in Syria, but they did so with a huge display of force. Specifically, the U.S. used B-1 bomber aircraft. Now, these sites that were hit were not heavily fortified military depots and objectives like you would see if they went after 
the country of Iran, which incidentally we specifically didn't go after. We went after the proxies of Iran. Maybe they had some type of cover and concealment, but it was not like going after Iranian missile silos. These were not necessarily hardened, steadfast military objectives. They were ammo caches and ad hoc type operation facilities that were out in the desert in relatively lawless parts of those countries and not sponsored by those individual countries, military or government. So the point I'm making here is we didn't have to use B-1 bombers with payloads of something I saw estimated in the range of 75,000 pounds of ordnance on board. We could use something much simpler, like a missile strike, a drone, and to the extent that we did use aircraft, again, using something as substantial as a B-1 bomber, and I saw something estimated like there were seven specific targets, but of those targets, there were something in the range of 80 strikes. And that was just the U.S., not counting whatever Britain did, and we're still saying that it's not over yet. Now, I bring all this up to make the point that Wall Street should be more concerned about the wars and the geopolitical issues around the world escalating. Because if you looked at what happened over the weekend, that in and of itself was an escalation. The wars are not contained anymore to simply Ukraine and Israel. So the escalation is in the here and now. The Ukraine war this month will have gone on for two years. That's far and wide escalated from what anybody first imagined it could have lasted. The Israeli war, it is on its fourth month. Again, much longer, I believe, than anybody anticipated in the original days of the attacks from Hamas. So that's definitely escalated. And not only escalated from the original Hamas attacks, and over these four months, the fighting has continued and spread throughout the Gaza Strip. It's escalated to border disputes or border attacks in Syria. Any one of those issues in Israel in and of itself is an escalation because prior to, say, six months ago, peace was breaking out. There had been unprecedented cooperation between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Now, all that is gone. To me, that's an escalation. So the escalation is taking place. The question is, why is Wall Street ignoring it? Well, don't get the wrong idea about war. Big business loves war. It's very profitable for them. It's not only profitable, but it helps big business and multinationals solidify their monopoly status. And if you don't think big business profits from war, go back and listen to Wellsteading Podcast episode 209. That was on a Veterans Day many years ago. I forget exactly when I put that episode out. But in that episode, I share the audio book from General Smedley Butler, who was a commandant of the Marine Corps. He wrote a book in 1935 after he got out of the Marines. He wrote a book called War is a Racket. Check out that episode. Incidentally, all episodes from the Wellsteading podcast going back almost 10 years now are archived at wellsteading.com. If you know the episode number in your browser, you can simply put www.wellsteading backslash and then the episode number. In this case, if you want to listen to War is a Racket, you'd put in 209. It'll take you directly to that episode. Also, if you want to do a search, if you scroll down, you'll see a little search bracket and you can put in terms there to search for keywords of 
any of the episodes. Again, they're all there. And that search feature is also available for investablewealth.com if you want to look at any of the blog posts that I've put out over more than a decade at investablewealth.com. Okay, so if big business loves war, then why shouldn't all these indices be at record highs? Because we certainly have enough wars to go around. Well, that is part of it. Again, go back to May of 2022 on my YouTube channel. I put out a video called Global Choke Points, making the point that war in the Ukraine was actually probably going to be beneficial for the U.S. economy in comparison to all the other countries because we have the energy, we have the food, and we have the armaments. We have them in surplus so we can not only make profits and service our own needs, but we have enough in those areas that we can export them globally and make a lot of money. That certainly is the case. So then why should Wall Street be concerned about an escalation of what's going on right now? Well, I think that reason is that we're not talking about conventional war here. The Houthis blowing up cargo and tanker ships in the Red Sea is not the kind of war that Wall Street likes. Just over the weekend, another thing happened that I didn't see get much press, but it was that Ukraine attacked one of the five largest refineries in Russia. It was something like almost 400 miles into the Russian borderland. They took out a refinery that produces something in the range of, you know, at least 5% of Russian fuels and distillates. And this is not only used in the Russian economy, but this is what Russia exports to India and to China. And again, these are the kind of disruptions that Wall Street doesn't like because it's impacting business directly. Wall Street doesn't like uncertainty. And this asymmetrical guerrilla-type warfare that we're seeing right now is very unpredictable because it's not directly in the hands of big global powers, which are essentially controlled by Wall Street. Let's step back here a minute. I mean, think about what's going on this whole time with Ukraine. And not only the attacks that they've endured from the Russians on their civilian infrastructure and the way the Russians have curtailed Ukrainian shipments of food and grains in the Black Sea area. I mean, that was all done with state-sponsored conventional arms. But look at the way that the Ukrainians have really made some significant hits to the Russian Navy and to Russian civilian targets, like this refinery that they hit over the weekend. How's Ukraine doing it? They're not doing it with U.S.-provided cruise missiles. For the most part, some of their best attacks have come by using off-the-shelf civilian drone technology. Very low-cost, poor man's cruise missiles they're putting together themselves. That's, I think, one of the big threats to Wall Street that they're missing. They're missing how these wars can escalate because you don't need the sanction of a state to prosecute these wars on the scale that you had to have before. Even with the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. Now, some of these are done with conventional missiles or even military-type drones. But what I found very interesting about the Houthis, and not only I found it interesting, but apparently the United States Marine Corps found it interesting as well, and that's that they're using extremely low-tech, off-the-shelf consumer sonar as a means to acquire a lot of the targets that they've been hitting. What I'm talking about here is fish-finding sonar. And again, this is interesting enough to the Marines that apparently the Marines have announced that they are using that in their own amphibious training operations. They're literally going down to Bass Pro and buying fish sonar 
to aid and support their amphibious operations. And then, again, what's so unusual about this is normally technology, high technology, is developed by the military because civilians can't afford to put the money towards the R&D that's needed to come up with advanced weapon systems, right? I mean, and then once wars are over, that technology trickles into the civilian economy. I mean, think of things like radar. It started in the military before it was used in commercial airline operations. Telecommunications, GPS satellites, all that stuff was developed for the military before it was used by civilians. Right? Nuclear weapons obviously preceded nuclear power plants. Well, what's strange about what's happening right now is not only do we have the geopolitical uncertainty that's disrupting the normal order of things, but it can be conducted with off-the-shelf civilian technology to create weapon systems that are not only devastating, but also pinpoint accurate. And this is not necessarily new. I mean, step back over the last decade or more and look at the biggest casualties that the U.S. took. Most of those didn't come from conventional weapons. They came from IEDs, improvised explosive devices. And we're not talking something unsophisticated like a Molotov cocktail. We're talking about homemade weapons that, for the most part, used consumer electronics to detonate conventional explosives. Well, we're at multiple orders of magnitude at this point. And it can create a lot of uncertainty and disruption that I don't think Wall Street is prepared for because they have a normalcy bias about war. Step back a minute and think about what happened in September of 2022. This is when the Nord Stream pipeline was sabotaged. Now, for the most part, the news reports that I've seen since then have really all focused on who done it, right? Kind of like a convergence of a detective story with wild and crazy conspiracy stories. But the most important part of the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage isn't who done it, it's the fact that it was done at all. This was not only the disruption of major civilian infrastructure, I'm talking in the order of billions of dollars worth of infrastructure. So it's not only very expensive civilian energy infrastructure, but it was cross-border, international civilian energy infrastructure. An attack like that of this magnitude to literally disrupt the European natural gas system and specifically a major impact on the country of Germany. Nothing like that has happened cross-border, internationally, at this level for 80 years. So the question isn't who did it, but the fact that they did it and got away with it. Don't look at this in terms of a military operation. Just think of it in terms of a crime. The person that perpetrated it, the government, the organization, whatever, whoever did it, they got away with it. And whenever you get away with something, what are you more likely to do? You're more likely to do it again in the future because you got away with it. And then the person that got hurt in the incident. What happens when they see that the perpetrator against them got away with something? Well, now they're more likely to have a revenge attack. And then stepping out of either the primary parties involved in this, but whenever a crime is committed and it's gotten away with, you end up with a follow-through of copycat-type acts and criminals that, again, they see someone got away with something, no one was punished, and then they do the exact-type copycat crime, or they take a version of that and improve upon it. And frankly, since September of 2022, I've been waiting for one of those follow-on attacks. You know, another 
combat boot to drop. We haven't seen one. I, remarkable. I, I Again, I'm shocked that with all the escalations that we've seen with the use of drones and the advancements that are being made both in Europe and the Middle East in terms of attacks, none of them have escalated or come to the extreme point of what we saw with the Nord Stream pipeline. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming. How about I can't predict the future, and I'm not making a forecast or prediction. I'm simply looking at what's happened over the last couple years. And more than anything, I'm wondering why Wall Street doesn't appear to me more cautious. Because the world order that they're so used to, that they've, been, that they've operated in since at least the early 1990s, that order does no longer exist. And even if we didn't have all these little regional uprisings and border disputes, we still have a major Cold War emerging with China. And that's going to come at a cost, even if there's not a hot war involved, even if there's no shooting. Every country on either side of this is stepping up their armaments. They're investing in defense like we haven't seen for 80 years. None of that was put into government budgets or projections for government debts. And while that will be beneficial to the big military industrial complex type companies, it puts a burden on the rest of the economy. And again, when we have this asymmetrical type warfare going on that's hitting civilian targets, civilian energy infrastructure, and civilian shipping routes, then that moves the war into an area where it's very costly for private business. I mean, even if it's on the civilian scale where it's simply protecting your company from a cybersecurity attack that can come in from state-sponsored hackers like Russia or Ukraine or North Korea, China, wherever. As a side note here, you know, I run a small business and like all small businesses, I'm constantly having cybersecurity brute force attacks attempted against my websites. I will tell you that since the war in Ukraine broke out, those type cybersecurity attacks have gone down astronomically. And it makes me wonder how much of those hackers were located in Ukraine and can no longer try and perpetrate tax against my company because they were taken out by Russian artillery. Ah, in any case, who knows? Bottom line, we are in a different world than we were pre-pandemic in terms of geopolitical uncertainty and unpredictable, uncertain warfare. As an investor, I think it's wise that even if Wall Street isn't prudent for it, we should be as individuals. And you do that by staying nimble and watching for signs that the big smart money is taking profits and moving out of the market. Now, again, so far we're not seeing that. And in fact, with the major show of force that the U.S. and the Brits did this weekend against Iranian proxies in the Middle East, maybe things will slow down a bit. Maybe Iran won't retaliate. And if that happens, that'll be good for the stock market because it'll put more certainty into profit margins. But either way, long term, we're in a different world than we were pre-pandemic. We have to acknowledge that and be conscious of it and invest accordingly. Hey, I'll finish up on one final thought. I put this out somewhere, I think, on Facebook. I saw a statistic over the weekend that said that in the last three years, the Chinese stock market has lost $7 trillion. Think of that. Think of the world we were in pre-pandemic, where so many people were worried about the Chinese having their economy leap over the United States, going from number two to going to, you know, well into the number one status with their Belt and Road initiatives and with their 
growing, expanding economy. And yet, post-pandemic, we're seeing them in some type of a Japanese 1990s-style meltdown, both in terms of real estate and equity assets. That's uncertainty that a lot of companies weren't prepared for, and we're not sure how it's all going to turn out. Go read Starbucks' most recent earnings report and look at the consequences they're having in China, as well as a high-tech company like Apple, which is really joined at the hip with not only Chinese manufacturing, but also Chinese consumer spending. It's a different world, folks, and you got to look at it from a different perspective. We'll hate more about that in future episodes. As always, until then, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.